Well, uh, my title of my message this morning is um, Stuck. Uh, I hope you don't forget the title of the message here. What's the title of the message? Stuck. Stuck. You have any idea why I chose that uh, picture? You know, it's funny, uh, as I was thinking about the um, dilemma, of course, the first expression that came to my mind was stuck in the mud, you know what I mean? Uh, I think all of us maybe, uh, well, that comes to our mind, you know, we're just kind of stuck in the mud, can't get anywhere. And, and uh, you know, so I started looking for pictures, you know, uh, of someone being stuck in the mud to kind of communicate the idea, keep it before us. You know, most of the people that I found stuck in the mud were smiling. You know, because people have this weird um, craving these days of playing in the mud. I mean, adults. Don't you remember when you were growing up that your mother told you, don't play in the mud? All right. Maybe your mothers didn't tell you that, but my mother did. Uh, you know, and, uh, and now it just seems like people, 20, 30, 40, love to play in the mud. I mean, they just have pictures with this big smile on their face, and they are in the mud. I mean, from head to toe, they are just absolutely covered with mud. And I was really struggling to find a picture of somebody who was kind of distraught. Most of them were laughing and smiling. And I thought, well, you know, it's almost indicative of the culture, you know, that we're, we're, we're in this world that is just filled with all kinds of worldliness and we're smiling about being stuck in the mud. It's almost like it's a sport or something. And I understand it is a sport. Um, I talk to people sometimes. Uh, so what are you doing? Oh, I'm going mud racing. Like, uh, like in a car? No, 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 like I'm going in the mud and I'm racing. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so anyway, uh, isn't necessarily the next sport that I'm going to be going out for. Uh, of course, there's a lot of sports I'm not going out for right now, but, but nonetheless, uh, stuck, stuck. So that's the title of my message, stuck. I think the passage gives us uh, some pretty good uh, context for all of this. So I ask you a question. Do, do you ever feel stuck? Do you ever feel stuck? And I'm not just talking about stuck as far as, you know, uh, you got stuck in the mud because you took a route that you shouldn't have taken. I know our teenagers went to camp, I think, a couple years ago out in Ironwood, and they took a particular route. They didn't get stuck in the mud. They got stuck in the sand. And uh, they were doing all their best to get uh, uh, the car out of the stand because they were stuck in the sand. They couldn't go anywhere. Some wash came through with a bunch of rain. Rain came through and washed the sand across the, the roadway, and they were stuck. And, um, but, you know, I'm asking you, do you ever feel stuck? Do you ever just feel stuck? Maybe uh, you're stuck in an unhappy relationship. You just feel stuck. It can't seem to go anywhere. It it's, doesn't seem to be good no matter how you try to fix things. Maybe you're stuck in a, in, in a meaningless job situation. You just feel like, you know, where am I going? What am I doing here? Um, I've been doing this for years and years and years. It just seems like I'm, I'm, just, I'm just stuck in this job. Maybe you feel stuck in a financial bind. Sometimes people get themselves buried financially where they are uh, tens of thousands of dollars in debt, and it doesn't mean, it doesn't seem, every, every, it takes a long time to get out of that kind of pressure, that debt that just seems to uh, overcome a person. Maybe some of you feel like you're stuck in some difficult parenting situation. Maybe it's with a, a kid that doesn't seem to be cooperating, or maybe it's with a teenager who is rebelling against you, or, or uh, Stuck, just stuck. Maybe you are stuck with a rotten attitude. Have you ever run across people that are stuck with a rotten attitude? I mean, doesn't matter how nice it is it outside, they got something to complain about. Uh, doesn't matter how good things are going, things are not going good for them. Doesn't matter how happy you are, they're not. Just, just got a rotten attitude. And they're just stuck. I mean, that's just how they seem to be approaching life. They just... They're stuck. 
Some folks are stuck with some besetting sin. They, they, they got this sin that they just, they just, they aren't conquering. They're being overcome by the sin, but they aren't overcoming the sin. They're just stuck. They, they don't know what to do. Or maybe they do know what to do and they won't do it. But they're stuck. Just stuck. And it's been going on for not just weeks or days. It's been going on for years. They're stuck. Some people are stuck in a, in a pit of unforgiveness. Somebody did you wrong. I mean, they honestly did. They did not say honestly did. Maybe they dishonestly did. They, you were wrong. There's no two ways about it. You, can, you can't argue with it. What they did was just wrong. But they never asked your forgiveness. They never came back and apologized to you. They're going around their merry way like nothing ever happened, and you are just, you're just, you're just mad about the situation. And to be very frank with you, 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 don't, you, you don't even want to forgive them. You're just upset with them, and I mean, they just shouldn't have done that. And they were a Christian. I mean, they should have known better. And of course, you're a Christian, and you should know better. Maybe you're stuck with some harmful addiction. You notice because we come to church and we wear nice clothes and have a smile on our face doesn't mean that we're free from addictions. Doesn't mean that we are not being controlled by things. Some people refuse to say they're being controlled by things, and yet they are. Just ask them to give it up. Oh, I can give it up anytime I want to. Well, then, why aren't you? Because you're stuck. You're stuck. It's an addiction. You, you, you're having trouble even admitting the fact that it's an addiction. You think it's something that you can just turn off anytime you want to, but it's been years and years and you haven't wanted to. You're stuck. Now, we can go on and on with illustrations, I think, about different ways that people get stuck, but I think the point of my message, or should I say the point that I'm trying to make, is pretty clear. So if, if you're one of those people that perhaps are feeling stuck in one way, shape, form, or another, and by the way, it doesn't have to be something as deep and drastic as, a, as an addiction. But if it's something that's hindering your spiritual growth, if it's something that's stopping you from going on, if it's something that's stopping you to have, from having the joy of the Lord as your strength, if it's something that's hindering your Christian testimony, then you need to hear what I have to say. Not because I'm saying it, because this is what the Scripture is bringing to our attention here in James chapter number 4. So I'm going to give you the questions that I want to answer in this message here. And so, uh, so here are the questions. Stuck, all right? What, what is our problem? That's the first question I want to address in this thing, is, is, is just what is our problem? We're stuck, and yet there is a, uh, I guess you could say a common denominator in regardless what kind of stuck you are or, or what particular aspect of being stuck we're talking about in your life, the problem is pretty much the same at its very base level. We want to talk about that. Uh, what do we need? Now, you say, well, but my problem is different than this person's problem. Well, yeah, it might be, but the solution is the same for both of you. And for all of us, as a matter of fact, James is bringing this to our attention here in this particular passage. Another question I want to answer is, why don't we have it? Why don't we have what? Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but that's one of the questions I want to answer here, is why don't we have it? What do we need? But why don't we have what we need? That's a good reason. It really is. And then I want to answer this question. How do we get it? How do we get it? So these are my four questions I want to answer right here in this particular message. What is our problem? What do we need? Why don't we have it? How do we get it? Well, our passage right here, we read it. I'm going to read it again to you, and I want you to listen. Because a lot of times when we read and you're doing the reading back and forth, sometimes you, you miss it. Sometimes I like to just read it all over again. You ever read the Word of God and just read it again and get more out of it the second time you read it and then read it again? And get even more out of it the third time you read it? Okay, I'm going to read it, so you listen. From whence come wars and fightings among you? 
Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, ye, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So there's our text. You know, when you read this passage, you almost come away with the impression that James is talking to a bunch of unregenerate people. I mean, look at those words. You lust, you kill, you desire to have, you war. I mean, those are pretty, those are pretty drastic words, I would say. I think they're words that show a passionate pursuit of something that is a rather, well, it's a wrong pursuit and a passionate pursuit in the wrong direction. I mean, it sounds like he's talking to a bunch of heathen, doesn't it? Talks like, it sounds like he's talking to a bunch of folks that have no idea what, to, what the grace of God and, and what the life of God is about. But if you go back to James chapter 1 and verse number 2, you find out that this book is written to my brethren. Yeah. It's written to the church. It's written to the people. Those people who are scattered abroad and are, are, are experiencing some of the ravages, you know, of the world. And, uh, and, uh, and James is speaking to these very ones. And he wants them to, to, be, to have the real deal in the sight of the world. Even though they're tempted sorely and they have some real problems. And so we know this is a book to Christians. Boy, I tell you what, you look at this and you wonder... You wonder, wow, is this what Christians act? I mean, do Christians do stuff like this? Well, evidently. So these first five verses describe a way of life that is far, <laughs> it's far more common among those who claim to know the Lord than most of us care to admit. You know, we come to church and we, we know how to smile. How am I doing? Are you good? Look, look I got my tie on straight. How about that? No breakfast, lunch, or dinner on my tie. How about that, huh? I mean... <laughs> You know, we know how to do it. We know how to come to church and we know how to put on the put on the happy smile, you know, say the nice words, you know. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All those good things, you know. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine too. Everybody's doing fine. Nobody has any problems. Yeah, we know how to do that. Hmm. It's amazing. Everybody's doing fine, but nobody's doing fine sometimes. Hmm. Wonder what the problem is. Which brings us to our first big question. That's this. What is our problem? What is our problem? Now, how many of you would sit here and say, Pastor, I can tell you right now, I don't have any problems whatsoever. Okay. Anybody here like that at all? Huh. How about that? But you're all smiling. I mean, if I just look at you, I'd think, well, you're just a happy camper, you know? Y'all smiling, and yet you wouldn't sit here and tell me I don't have any problems at all because you know that you are struggling with something. Maybe it's not all you. Maybe it's somebody that you love dearly, and you're taking their struggle to heart, and that struggle is difficult on you because of something that they are doing or not doing, but... But regardless of what the situation is, all of us have burdens to bear, don't we? All of us have issues that are troubling our hearts and, and things that we're praying about and, and, and even things that we're wrestling with in our own hearts. All of us do. 
You know, you, don't you think for a minute that you've come to a church that everybody is perfect? <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I really hope we don't, we, we don't want to be rude and unkind and, you know, stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is, is we're not perfect. We all know we've got struggles. But that doesn't mean we should be content with our struggles. That doesn't mean we should just go on and pretend, you know, like they're not there. But we do have struggles. And we have to be willing to admit this. So what is our problem? Well, according to this passage right here, I look at these verses and it looks like the, the passage is pretty clear. We, we can't have what we want. We can't have what we want. He said, well, how do you get that? Well, go back to the passage and look at the verses right here. For whence come wars and fightings among you? From, come, uh, come they not hence, even of your own lust? You war in your members, you lust and have not. In other words, lust, we're talking about not necessarily just a sexual desires, but we're talking about strong desires. The word lust simply means a very strong or passionate desire. So we have these passionate desires for something, but we're not getting that something, you see. And so that's what it's saying right here. So evidently we're not getting what we want. You lust and have not, you kill. Oh, you mean we actually go to the, to the point where what we would actually bring death? In our pursuit of our strong desires? See, well, Pastor, that's, that's probably really kind of, um, you know, nth degree language right there. That's kind of like way out there. You know, I wish it was. Unfortunately, I know of situations where even people who were supposed to be godly actually went to the point of taking the life of another person in their pursuit of their lusts. That's pretty strong language. But, you know, sometimes, you know, the Bible says if you look at a person, you hate a person, it's like you've killed them already. That's what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5. So, you know, if you will go to the point where you'll actually hate a person, despise a person because they're not giving you what you want, you can't get from them what you want, it's just as though you killed them. So I understand it's strong language, but I think sometimes passions get pretty strong. Strong to the point where we can sap the spiritual life out of somebody. And obviously out of ourselves in the process. You kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight in war that you have not because you ask not. Well, then you do ask, and you receive not. Well, the reason being is because you ask amiss. You, you have the wrong motives. You got the, you're asking God to do something for you, and you're asking somebody to do something for you, but you, the, your motives are wrong, and that's apparent to whoever you're asking, be it God or somebody else. And consequently, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. Or it follows up and it says, well, that you may consume it upon your lusts. In other words, we just keep asking because we want stuff. We want material stuff. We want stuff because we think stuff's going to make us happy. So, so, so there's, the, there's the backdrop right there, and it gives us a, good, a pretty good picture of what's going on here. The selfish desires of our carnal nature take control of us. Now, here's something, folks. You have to understand this. If you, if you don't know where I'm going with this and wonder where, where I'm pulling this, this ugly rabbit out of the hat, okay, you got saved. Most of you did. I think most all of you did. I think you have. You got saved somewhere along the line. And, and here's what happened, okay? God came to live within you. And you have the Spirit of God in your heart. You're a new creation. All thing, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you're probably thinking, you know, well, man, I should be a brand new person. You have within you a brand new person. Well, why is it that I am not a brand new person? Well, you have a brand new person. You possess a brand new person, but you didn't get rid of the old guy. The old guy still lives within you. What do you mean the old guy? The old nature. The old you, before you got saved, that spirit that you had. 
that old man, he's not eradicated. He still lives within you. And he's still powerful. He still calls upon you and he still influences you and he still causes you to lust and want. And he still has desires he places in your heart. And he's still responsive to the world and the flesh and the devil about you. He still lives within you. And some of us, I think, don't realize the reality of that. It's real. It's real. And, and, and we have to wrestle. We have to, we have to acknowledge this. So the selfish desires of our carnal nature take, take control. They can take control because they are present within you. Verse 1 through 5 contains some very alarming words. Wars, fightings, lust, kill. These are, these are alarming words for any of us. We ought to be very concerned if this be our attitude, if this be typical of us any time in the day or even the course of many days or maybe even years. It ought to concern us if this is taking place in our lives. But our problems are even deeper they're even deeper. They are more relational than material because you look at these words, you lust and you, you can't have what you want. So many times the things that we want are, are material things, you know. I can't have this for my house or I can't have this for my car or I can't have this for my kids or I can't have this to make us happy, you know, so we can go on our vacation and have all the stuff that we want to have a happy vacation. And we think sometimes we're wanting material things. I don't have, my, I don't have enough money. No enough creature comforts. But it really is more than that. These lusts, these desires, these things that we strongly desire and passionately pursue, they're not just creature comforts. They're, they're not just limited to the, to the material. They affect us relationally. And James uses a word here in verse number 5 that, that points this out to us here. Um, this is what really should get our alarmists even more. He uses these words, but he... He clarifies them, he even tells us that they're that they have this friendship with the world. Look at verse number five. I'm sorry. Uh, verse number four. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Oh wow. That's strong language. Well, you know, if you, if you call somebody an adulterer, you, 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 you haven't used a real kind word toward them. You call somebody an adulteress, that is a pretty offensive word. Now, you say, well, what is he talking about here? Is he talking about people who actually get involved in, 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 in intimate relationships with somebody else outside of their marriage? I don't think so. I don't think it could be. But I only think that's the context of this passage right here. I believe the context of this passage tells us that their adultery isn't necessarily with somebody, person, their adultery with somebody else. It goes on to say, no, you're not. But the friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so what we have here is this breaks our relationship with God. In other words, we are, we are turning to the world, but we are turning from God. The things of the world are robbing us of our love for God. So we're two-timing God is what really is going on here. We're committing adultery, spiritual adultery, because the fact we are so pursuant to the things of the world that we have left our pursuit of God. So... Um, So we look at verse number five. He says, but he giveth more grace. I'm sorry. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now, there's some controversy on this particular verse. Some people think that this particular word spirit, okay, pneuma, is referring to the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, some translations will actually take that word spirit there and will capitalize it. And anytime you see the word spirit capitalized, you automatically think that it's referring to the Holy Spirit. But I think they do a disservice if they do that. 
because I don't believe that's the context right here. I don't believe it matches the context right here. And I'll explain to you why. You see, um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. You see, there is a lusting that takes place inside of us. And there is a presence, and I can see why perhaps they would come away with this opinion because of the fact that we do know, according to Galatians chapter 5, that there is this, this conflict within us between the Spirit of God and our, and our old man, our flesh nature, our old nature. And so I can see how they arrive at that, but I don't think this passage is teaching that. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. And so here we have somewhat the same thought here in verse number 4, where it says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And we see in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, that the carnal mind is enmity against God. And so we see the, 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 the parallel here between these teachings of these different passages of Scripture. And it goes on and says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And God tells us in other places, he tells us about the wickedness of our flesh. For instance, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and thought of his heart was only evil continually. He's speaking of the, the nature of the old nature. The nature of your old nature is you think wicked thoughts continually. You didn't lose that. It's still present in you. Uh, Genesis chapter number 8, verse 21 says, And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Okay? He's speaking of the old nature. You didn't lose that. It says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 10, The soul of the wicked desireth evil. He's talking about the old nature. And you didn't lose that. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this, The heart of, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He's talking about the old nature. And you did not lose that. So when he says here in this particular verse here, the adulterers and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity of God. He's talking about when you, in your old nature, continue to maintain this friendship, relationship with the world. You are literally working in direct opposition to God. Your old nature is opposing God. Your old nature always has opposed God. And so this is what's being set up here. So, here, so here, let, me, let me give my, my bottom line to my point right here, and that is this. Okay? Our pleasure-minded, self-gratifying, war-waging, world-loving attitudes set us in direct opposition to God Himself. So let me summarize it by saying this. Our flesh is wicked. I mean, I'm just giving you this, the summation of it, okay? Our flesh is what? Wicked. How many of you think your flesh is good? Does anybody think your flesh is good? Is anybody fooled? Okay, I know the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? But do you know that your flesh is wicked? Do you realize that this is the truth? This is so of your flesh, your old nature. Now, I'm trying to paint a black picture because it is black. Okay, I'm not trying to whitewash your flesh. I'm trying to help you to know that you've got an enemy within you and it will devastate you if you keep on giving in to the flesh that's within you. And we all have this battle going on within us. And if we say it's not going on, then you have been deceived and the truth is not in you. And the worst deception is self-deception. You've deceived yourself. And man say he has not sinned. He deceiveth who? Himself. And what's not in him? Truth. The truth is not in him. The truth of the matter is, your old nature is wicked. 
He said, Pastor, what about you? My old nature is wicked. It is possible for any of us to think ungodly thoughts, just like anybody out there in the world. It's possible for any of us to want and even pursue things that are completely against and in opposition and in enmity against God. And if you think that it's not you and you would never do that, let him that think he standeth take heed lest what? He fall. So we're all in the same battle, folks. We all have the same enemies. We all have the same potential for evil. And we just need to fess up and face it. I didn't say give in. I said face it. If you ignore it and you think it's not so with you and you think, oh, not me. I am holier than thou. Here you are. You're holier than me if that's you. <laughs> because that's not me. So that's my first point. Point number two. What do we need? Okay, we, we know what our problem is, right? Our problem is, is we've got this old us with us, and it doesn't go away. And he hasn't, or she hasn't gone away. He lives with us. Every place we go, it goes. And boy, it can cause us a host of trouble. Do all kinds of terrible things. Create all kinds of words, terrible thoughts within us. Fightings. You even hate people, even to the point where you sometimes want to kill them. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. It is. Verse number six. It says, But he giveth more grace. Now, you read verses one through five, and you see the description of the problem. You get to verse number six, and you see the word but. What does the word but mean? It means we are pivoting. It means we are turning from what our problem is, and now we are pivoting to the solution. Okay, so this is what's taking place in verse number six. That's why I say I don't believe verse number five is talking about the Holy Spirit, because the word but comes after verse number five, not before verse number five. So if the Holy Spirit was our solution, he should have been in verse number six. Well, let's put it this way. He should have been concluded in, in verse six. But we see here in verse number five here that this word but doesn't come until after. So see what we see here? Do you think the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Do you think that that's so? If you talk about the Holy Spirit, then he wouldn't use the word but on the heels of that. He would have said but on the front of that. It should have been on the front of verse five instead of the, the front of verse six. If you follow my reasoning. But he, now we're talking about God. But he giveth what? More grace. more grace. Amen. He giveth more grace. And boy, that's what we need. What do we need? He giveth more grace. We need what? This isn't rocket science. This is what it says. I mean, you don't have to really be a theologian to figure this one out. It tells you exactly what we need here. We need what? We need more grace. It's not like we haven't ever received grace. If you got saved, you did receive grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So you're no stranger to grace if you got saved. You had the grace of God, and he was present to bring you to salvation. But guess what? The grace of God doesn't leave you. You still need the grace of God. Do you think that's all you needed the grace of God for was just to get saved? No, no. You need the grace of God to keep growing in this Christian life. What did James say? At the, I mean, Peter say at the end of his verse, he says, but grow in what? Grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because we don't just need grace to get saved, we need grace to keep growing in the grace of God. You see, it's grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. You see? You see, we need the grace of God to continue to minister to our heart, to continue to bolster us up, to continue to give us victory. Oh, it's a victorious thing when somebody comes to Christ and they get saved. But we need more victory. We need victory day by day. What could, I mean, if all we have is just hope in, in, in a salvation in the future, we need, we, need, we need hope today. We need grace today. 
We need that new grace, amen? And this is, this is what's taking place here. So we, we need grace. We need more grace. It says, but he giveth more grace. The word but signals a pivotal point in the passage. Grace is a, the, the divine influence of God upon our hearts. You see, it's grace that drew you to the Savior. But it's grace that draws you to continue to want to do right and to live for God and to love God and to please God. It's the grace of God that continues this wonderful work that God began in you the day you got saved. Amen? Amen. So what do you need? Grace. You need more grace. <laughs> you already got grace. You need more grace. That's what you need. That's what I need. This is Philippians 2.13. Well, what does that say? For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This, is the most, this verse, I think, is one of the most wonderful definitions of grace. Grace is the supernatural influence of God working in you and through you to will. That's your desire and to do. That's to fulfill your desire of his good pleasure rather than your old nature's pleasure. Your old nature has all kinds of ideas of how it should be called, how it can be to make itself happy. But you're not going to please God by making your old nature happy. You're going to please God by willing and doing of His good pleasure. And that's what God wants for us. He wants more grace. We need more grace. It needs to continue to flow. God gives us this grace. Hallelujah. He gives us this grace. You know, you say, well, for by grace are you saved through faith. God gives us this grace. Isn't it wonderful that God is so willing to impart to us this which is so necessary for us to grow? He's willing to impart it to us so that we would get saved. But he's so willing to continue to impart this grace to us so that we can continue to overcome the things of the flesh. It doesn't come through fanciful methodology from your self-help gurus. It comes through God. I know people write books about all kinds of self-help things, you know, how you can be a more of this and more of that, a better this, a better that, you know, more fit, more trim, more this, more that. More rich, more, you know. And it's all kind of like you lifting yourself up by your own fleshly bootstraps. The spiritual life isn't like that. The spiritual life is God giving you his supernatural grace to influence your heart to do his will and his good pleasure. That's what God wants to give you. And you need it. And I need it. And we all need it. And we have to recognize our need for it. You say, well, Dr. So-and-so says, I don't care what Dr. So-and-so says. If Dr. So-and-so tells you something different, well, you, know, you studied. I don't care what he did. God's been here for eternity. Amen. We are so willing sometimes to believe the words of a doctor because he has a PhD alongside his name. We are so willing to believe a guy like that and, 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 and not listen to the Ancient of Days, the creator of of the universe, the great I am, the one who is omniscient. He knows all things from the beginning and to the end and forevermore. <laughs> Why are we so willing to believe all that? You know, you know who's, who prescribed all these wonderful things about how to fix our financial situation in the country? It's people that are writing books that you probably shouldn't read. I heard an economist say the other day that if we're on the trek that we are, in 10 years, we'll be $44 trillion in debt. That sounds like somebody who really knew what they were doing about getting us out of our financial issues, our problems. Now, folks, look, you need to realize the wisdom of God is far greater than anything man's going to tell you. And... and um, I think we listen far too much to people who think they know a lot more 
And they don't even know God. They don't even know God at all. And you need to be careful because you can get swallowed up by those kind of ideologues, those people who keep the talking heads, that keep, that keep talking and are never seemingly coming to a lot of sensical answers. God gives us this grace, and, and this grace is more than enough. He gives you more grace. Well, more than what? More than enough. God will give you more grace than you need. You know, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He won't suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But will, with the temptation, do what? What's that? Make a way to escape, that ye may be able to what? Bear it. Do you know that it doesn't matter what you face, God can give you what you need to overcome whatever it is you're facing. I don't care what the temptation is. So I couldn't help it. That's a lie. Sorry, it's a lie. I'm not sorry, forgive me. I'm telling you the truth, it's a lie. God can help you. And there's always a way to escape. Now you might not like it. You might not prefer it. But God always has a way to escape so you don't have to sin. It doesn't mean you won't suffer. It doesn't mean you won't have problems because of it. But you'll be pleasing God as opposed to pleasing the world. And that's what God's interested in. So what do we need? More grace. That's right. We need more grace. This is the grace that is greater than our sin. Amen? That's what God wants us to have. All right. Next question. Say, wow, we're moving through these questions pretty good. Yeah. Why don't we have it? Okay, so we know the problem. What's the problem? You already forgot it, didn't you? <laughs> What's the problem? We're, we're wicked. Our flesh is wicked. That's our problem. What's, well, what's, what's the solution? Or should I say, what do we need? We need more grace. So why don't we have it? Oh, isn't, that a, isn't that something worth asking ourselves? Okay, we, we say, oh, okay, you need more grace. Well, do you need more grace? Yeah, I do. Do you have it? Well, no, I don't. Why don't you have it? Why don't we have the grace that we know we need? I, I didn't just tell you something you didn't know. You all know you need grace. You all need, know you need more grace. You knew that. Come on now. Why don't you have it? Why don't we have it? That's a good question. And actually, James answers that question. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the what? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, Pastor, now you're going to meddling. Well, actually, um, I'm not. James is. <laughs> so you can take it up with him. Okay. Wherefore he saith, that's why, or for this reason, God in the Scriptures says, he resisteth the proud. He resisteth the proud. So, why don't we have it? Our pride keeps us from receiving what? So, what do we need? Why don't we have it? Pride. That's it. That's it. That's what he says right here in this passage. The reason we don't have the grace that we know, we know we, know we need more grace. Why don't we have it? It's because of our pride. Our pride. Our pride's a nasty sin. It's a nasty sin. Pride. Wow. So, God hates pride. Do you know that? God hates pride. Where did the Bible say that? Well, how about Proverbs 16, 5? Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Now, that's pretty strong language. I think God pretty well expresses his sentiment about pride. There's a lot of verses in the Bible about pride. I guarantee you, God doesn't like pride. God doesn't like the pride that wells up in our hearts. Pride is a problem. He resists the proud. That's what he says right here. Look at James 4, 6. God resisteth the proud. Okay? Verse 6 is that pivotal verse, all right? We've got all these problems that are going on here. Why we have these problems, okay? Well, wherefore he saith, he resists the proud. Uh, we need more grace, but God resists the proud. The reason we don't have more grace is because pride gets in the way and pride stops us from asking for the more grace we need. God resists the attitude of pride. God resisteth the proud. Okay, so we should... We can be able to say from that, God resists the attitude of pride. 
This again should be pretty obvious to us. Why does God resist these? They are the ones that need his help because they are the ones who will not submit themselves to God and abandon the very spirit that is the very heart of their trouble. You see, if you turn to God, then you have to turn from whatever it is that was controlling you prior to. Well, if you refuse to turn from your worldly ways and your carnal spirit, well, then you're never going to receive the grace that God has for you. Because the condition for receiving the grace of God is you have to, you have to abandon your old ways. You've got to repent. You've got to trust God rather than the things that you're being told that you should trust. These literally stand in opposition to our own victory. You know, we've, I've given you this verse before. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. I want to show you this verse because, again, it, it shows us some things that are pretty interesting for us to take to heart here. It says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Now look what it says. In meekness, what? Instructing those. What, what are these those doing? They're what? They're opposing themselves. You see, we're supposed to take the word and try to help people who are having troubles. And we should do it in a meek spirit because we're not trying to make it a us versus them issue. We're wanting to keep the issue between them and God because God is the one that can give them victory. Because they are opposing themselves. And so look what happens when you do this or you attempt to do this the way God wants here. And me just instructed those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them what? Repentance. repentance. What's repentance? A change of their mind. God speaks to their heart and says, you know what? You're going the wrong way. You're doing something that's not good for you. You're doing something that's, not, that's causing you not to be able to grow in grace. You need to turn to what the truth says. So this is what God is impressing and influencing their mind with. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the what? The what? You see, what we need is the truth of God. God gives us his truth. But if you refuse to accept the truth, guess who's there to help you out? Look at the next verse. And that they may recover themselves out of the what? Now, guess who's sitting there just ready to take advantage of your, your stubborn ways? The devil. Who has taken, who are taken captive by him at his will. So the devil, he, he walks about like a roaring lion. He seeks who may devour. And you know who he's watching for? He's especially watching for Christians who are doing things their own way in the spirit of pride. And when you do your own thing in the spirit of pride, the devil has you. And he takes you captive at his own will. You say, what am I supposed to do? Well, you need to repent. You need to turn to God. And if your pride prevents you from doing that, you're stuck in a bad situation. You see? The very thing that you need, more grace, you refuse to accept because you think you know better and you're listening to the devil or you're listening to your flesh or you're listening to the world. And consequently... You're robbing yourself of the very victory that God wants for you to have. So God resists the proud. When believers hang on to their pride, they sever themselves from the all-sufficient grace of God. That's what you need. If you want to get over those things that keep you stuck in the Christian life, that keep you stuck in this life, then you have to, you have to get the grace of God. But if you hang on to your pride, if you refuse to say, I have a problem, if you refuse to say that I need God, if you refuse to do any of that, well, then you're stuck in your problem. Either part of your pride, uh, either part of your pride, hmm, sounds like I just said, made a wrong statement there. Uh, either part, let's see what happens here. <laughs> this is what I mean right here. Okay. <laughs> This little picture right here. Okay? Uh, this is what happens. Okay? We hang on to our pride. And we're just hanging on for dear life, right? I mean, we got to make it. 
But we don't want to let go of that pride. And buddy, you can only hang on for so long. Because after a while, something's going to happen. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, you can play the game for so long, you can play the Christian life, you can kind of let on, you know, play the dog for so long, but after a while, sooner or later, your life's going to fall apart, and everybody's going to know it. And you say, well, what was the reason? God didn't, God let me down. No, 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 God didn't let you down. You refused to do it His way. That's it. I hear more people blame God for their problems than their problem. God was not the problem. He wasn't the source of their problem. He was the solution to their problem. But they refused to let go of their pride and submit themselves to the way that God had for them. And they plunge into destruction. And they're bitter. And they're unforgiving. And they're mad. And they're tough to be around. And their problem is, it's their fault. God didn't do them wrong. God, all the while, was trying to give them the solution to their problem. He was trying to give them more grace. The very thing that they needed. More grace. But they wouldn't humble themselves. Well, I'm too embarrassed to tell people my problems. I don't want anybody to think that I'm really that bad. Doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. But if you're not honest, and if you won't humble yourself, that's what happens. You blame God all you want, but it's not God's fault. Your fault. And if it's me, it's my fault. We really got this victim mentality going on today. You know, everybody's a victim. Somebody did something to me or did something to my grandpa or did something to my ancestors and that's why I am why I am. Look, if you know what you're supposed to be and you know who gives you the power to be so, your problem is not anybody else. Your problem is you. Get over this victim mentality. God says you are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That means you can have victory. That means God can give you the victory. You don't have to hang on to the problems that the world's hanging on to. I understand. They don't have the Spirit of God. But you do. So you don't have to go around whining and fussing and complaining and burning down buildings and, and saying defund the police and all the crazy things that they're doing today. No, you don't have to do that. You can have the grace of God and the grace of God can deliver you from whatever it is that's troubling you and whatever it is that you're struggling with. And there's lots of examples in history of people that did just that. They overcame. They had the same conditions. They had the same ancestry. They had the same things happen to their relatives or the same things that happened to them, even in their own family. And yet they rose up in the power of God because they submitted themselves to God and God gave them the victory. So if you say, I can't help it, you are lying. If you can't say, you say, I can't help it, you swallowed the world's victim mentality. Well, last question, how do you get it? Okay, we know the problem. We know what we need. We need more grace. We know what's keeping us from it. It's our pride. Okay, well then, how do we get it then? That's a good question. Thank you for asking. He giveth grace to the who? Humble. Humble. What's your answer? Your answer is humility. Humility is your ticket to more grace. If you want more grace, then you need humility. You need to be humble. You say, what's humility? All right, humility is recognizing and acknowledging my total dependence upon the Lord and seeking His will for every decision. You see, folks, you need to recognize that you need to be totally dependent upon the Lord. Well, I, I, am I supposed to be able to do this myself? No! <laughs> You're not supposed to be able to do it yourself. You don't need a savior if you can do it all yourself. You don't need deliverance if you can do it all yourself. You need God. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. Every hour. You need God when you walk out of this church. 
Somebody might have, some bird might have flown over your car and messed up your nice washed car. You might need grace not to be upset. I mean, there's all kinds of things, you know. So-and-so didn't talk to me. Well, okay. So you're going to just forget everything that you learned in church and just be upset because so-and-so didn't talk to you? Do you know some people that things, that things like that happened to them? They can come to church, hear a whole mess, and get all upset because somebody sat in their seat. The nerve. That visitor sat in my seat. Did it ever occur to you they didn't know it was your seat? They should have known. Oh, so the visitors are supposed to be mind readers, right? No, folks. You see, there's so many things that we do that are so foolish, so short-sighted. How do we get it? We need to humble ourselves. The humble man has the ear of God. You know what God's looking for in this world? He's listening for the humble person coming to him and asking him for what they need. Uh, he is. God loves humility. God, you know, Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but before honor is humility. God is the one that gives us honor. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh also shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. God gives wisdom. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 and 19 says, Pride goeth before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So let's review. What's our problem? Okay, a few of you got it. What's our problem? Our flesh is wicked. Our flesh is wicked. You all have an old nature. It's wicked. Just understand that. That's your problem. What do we need? More grace. That's right. We need more grace. We already got some because you got saved, right? But you need more. You need more. And you need more and more. And when God gives you more, it's always more than enough. Because His grace is sufficient. Amen? God's grace is sufficient. Well, why don't we have it? That's exactly right. Our pride keeps us from asking. Or we ask because we want it our way, you know, so we ask to consume it upon our lusts and we ask amiss and, and consequently we don't, well, he didn't answer my prayer. That's because you're asking amiss. You're not asking according to his will. He says if you ask according to his will, you'll have what you need. But we're so, we're so bent on our will that we sometimes don't realize that God has a will in the matter. We want God to rubber stamp all of our plans. You ever think that maybe God knows a little bit more than you do? Maybe that God has a plan. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, instead of my kingdom come, my will be done. I think sometimes we get those things a little bit mixed up. How do we get it? Humility. Yep, we humble ourselves. Now there's one more question I want to ask you. <laughs> I gave you the answer. How can we maintain the spirit of humility? Okay, you know, I mean, every of us, we've experienced it here and there once in a while, maybe a few times, or maybe quite a few times. But how do you maintain the spirit of humility? Well, that's what verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 talk to us about. That was what I was actually starting my message with. But then as I took the message and I thought about it, I said, I can't start there because I have to help us to realize why we need to get there. And so that's why I'm preaching to you about stuck. <laughs> yep, come back tonight and we'll talk about what verses 7 through verse 10 talk to you about how to maintain, you see, this spirit of humility. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you help us all to understand these things. These are simple. It's not rocket science. It's, and yet we are so deceived. Sometimes we, we deceive ourselves, and the world certainly doesn't have uh, this understood. I pray you'd help us, Lord God. Uh, I, I pray we wouldn't just go on and just completely defeated in our Christian life. It should be that Christians are the ones who are walking in truth and experiencing the blessings of God and happy in the Lord and have the joy of the Lord as their strength. And yet sometimes, Lord, we see Christians seemingly in 
and just the same shape the world's in. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to be honest enough with ourselves to realize what we are, who we are, what we need, how to get it, and how to keep it. So we ask that you'd help us.